0: book of Luke chapter 17, and we've been in a series uh, on the book of Luke going back earlier in the year, back on into February. Uh, I so much enjoy going through the scripture uh, verse by verse and in context. It helps us to see so much more, learn so much more, and it's a real blessing. So we're going to be in Luke 17, and here in a minute I'll read uh, verses one through five. When I was uh, in college, I took a lot of marketing classes. That was one of the emphasis uh, of my major was marketing. So it was a lot of advertising, consumer behavior, things like that. And I learned more about how advertising works, using whether it's billboards or uh, in between a video that you're watching online now, or as you're scrolling through, social media, you're like, which one of my friends posted this? Oh, this is sponsored. Oh, this is something that they just want me uh, to see. Or if you're, you're listening to any type of music, generally there's ads included in there, uh, especially if you're like me who won't pay for Spotify premium. Uh, Spotify doesn't understand that I grew up listening to just the regular radio, right, where you got like 15 minutes of music and 45 minutes of commercials. And they all went to commercial at the same time. And so you just said, well, I'm only going to get 15 minutes of music and then I got to listen to the advertising for the uh, car dealership. Or whatever. But basically these ads are constantly being presented to you. Hey, try this. Hey, don't you think you'd like this? Hey, don't you think this would help you here? This might help you be healthier. It may help you be smarter. It may help you be happier. It may help you be more comfortable. It may help you be cooler. Right? Take this and you'll be cooler. You you won't, you know, use this mouthwash and your breath won't stink. And then a pretty person might want to kiss you. That's what advertising puts before us all the time, try this, try this, try this. And what they're trying to do is get into what the marketers call your your evoked set. So when you think of the need for something, so you think of, I want a hamburger. You know, what are the first places that pop into your mind as far as where you would go to get a hamburger? And those first two, sometimes it's as few as two, sometimes as many as five or eight, things that come to mind. Well, this is where I would go for that. And they're advertising, trying to get into that evoke set, what pops up in your mind when you think, I need this, because that's what they're doing. They're, they're trying to convince you uh, that they understand your need right and that they know how to fill it you know here's you know we see the commercials my pillow commercials well you're not sleeping well and they will show you a picture of somebody kind of rolling around on the on the bed and not sleeping good like banging the sheets and you're like I do that I do that sometimes that's me and then they put a my pillow underneath them and they're just like this is great and they're just out and so they're, they're telling you we know what your problem is we know what's wrong and we can show you how to fix it. And I saw now they're even making towels. So you got my pillow towels. It didn't even sound right. But I saw the commercial. I was like, that looks like a pretty good towel, though. I feel like I might need that. I feel like I might need that towel. And, and I want you to keep that in mind as we're moving into this today. I am going to read Luke 17, 1 through 5. And then we'll bless the word as, as we go into it. Luke 17 and verse 1, it says, One day Jesus said to His disciples, There will always be temptations to sin. But what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. So watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, Forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day, each time, and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. And the apostles said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that it is alive and it is able to work in us. Uh, to continue the work that you began in us, your children. And I thank you that you encourage us with it. You build us up today and open our eyes to the wonders and the beauty of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. And the first thing he says is there will always be temptation to sin. Always. Now there's a weight to an always. And you may be thinking, oh, thank goodness. It's not just me. I thought i you know, I thought everybody else was past that. I was the only one dealing with that. There will always be temptations to sin. And, and your translation may read differently there. It may say offenses will surely come. Or it may refer to stumbling blocks. And all of those tie back to, to a word that we have trouble defining with just one of our English words. It's the Greek word "scandalon," which sounds kind of like scandal. It's where our word came from for that. And it's the picture of a trap that you would set for an animal. You know, you've seen on the old cartoons or old shows where they would put, you know, a little crate up and prop a stick underneath it and put a little bait under there and maybe have a string attached to it that when the rabbit or whatever got under there, they could pull it. That's the picture of what this word means. It's a, it's a trap laid to catch something. A, a snare, and then also it was used uh, to talk about something that would be in the walkway that you would stumble over, or that you would fall over—an impediment, something that would trip you up if you were walking in uh, a specific direction. It's talking about any person, anything by which one is drawn into that, drawn into error, or drawn into to sin. And it's an occasion to fall or to stumble or become trapped. So the stumbling block in the road, the little trap that you would set and pull out and catch the rabbit or the squirrel or the bird. We never caught one with anything like that, but I think some people do. Uh, So it's an occasion to fall or to stumble. And Jesus says that temptations to sin are certain. They are inevitable. Your whole life, they will be there, just like advertising. Our whole life advertising is there. We can't get away from it. But it's important that we understand what he's talking about and then how we live with that knowledge, even with what he's beginning with. So what should we know about this scandal on, these stumbling blocks, these traps, these temptations that are certain to come in our life, that are inevitable in our life that will definitely be a part of our life. And and, and again, picture just the image of walking along and all of a sudden you aren't walking anymore but you've tripped, you've fallen, you face down in the road or the sidewalk, whatever, or you're trapped and, and you're stuck. That's the image of this word. So how, we obviously want to avoid that. How can we avoid it? And the first thing we want to have is a right understanding uh, of how this works in our life. That, that's the f- best first step. How, wh- what is this? How does it work in our life? How does it function? Because I think when we say there will be temptations to sin, we all have something that comes to mind, but we want to make sure that that's as full and as easily understood as it can be. And Jesus says that temptations to sin are certain, but He doesn't go into detail here about what it is. What is a temptation to sin? So to, so to kind of fill that out, I want us to look in James chapter 1 and verse 12. James, uh, the little brother uh, to Jesus, also the son of uh, Mary. And in James 1 and verse 12, it says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive a crown of life. That God has promised to those who love Him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth. To death So first God, it says God blesses those who endure temptation. This, is temptation this is what we're talking about And he says that God isn't tempting us He's not setting us up to, to fail But it says he'll reward those he'll, He will warns us about it He empowers us to conquer it And then he rewards those who endure temptation And then it tells us where temptation actually comes from So here we go We're going to get the behind the scenes look of how this actually Works. In verse 14, it says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And I've always appreciated just the vivid imagery that he uses in describing this because I can see it and I can go, yes, that's exactly what I have experienced in my life, how temptation works in our life. Temptation comes from our own desires. Temptation shows up just like the advertisements and says, I see your need. Let me show you the best way to feel that. I see your problem. Let me show you the best way to fix that. In other words, try this, right? Just like the average, try this. Our own desires come and they entice us. And it says, drag us away or lure us away, away from where? The right path or a position of self-control. We're pulled away again, just like the advertising. It's a try this to temptation. Where in our mind, as Christians, we generally know when there's a right way to handle something, right? Scripture speaks pretty explicitly about how we're supposed to handle basically everything in life. But a temptation shows up and says, but, but what if you tried it a different way? What if you try to do it another way? Not the way Scripture says to handle it. I know there's a right way in Scripture to handle it, but there's a desire to go another way. And the words that Scripture uses to describe that direction, pulling off from the right way, the righteousness of God, are words like, Sin or carnality or we, we talk about the flesh, the drawing of doing things uh, the earthly way. James even talks about later. And we won't we don't have time to talk about it today, that there's an earthly wisdom, a carnal wisdom that comes below an earthly way of thinking and that there's a heavenly wisdom, a wisdom that comes from God. It's a heavenly way of thinking. But temptation says, try it this way. The temptation to try it. The earthly way always puts me first. It always puts a focus on me, just like the advertisements do. They they place me as the person of focus. It puts me first above God, above others, above everything else, especially above wisdom. It puts my pleasure, my desires at the top of my to-do list, above everything else. Well, I feel this, so I need this. And this is above everything else, temptation minimizes God and others and it glorifies me, right? It puts me as number one. I'm utmost in my own affections when I'm being tempted. And when I move to that position in my heart and in my mind that I'm first and nothing else is above me, I'm the most important. I'm in charge of making sure that I stay there. When I put myself at the top, I'm in charge of making sure that I stay there. And then all kinds of trouble ensues because basically I'm making myself God and Lord over my own life. we've talked about that. We talked about it just a little bit ago. We can only have one Lord. So if I become Lord of my life, who's not, he's not right. That's what temptation draws me into. When I move to that position, then I am responsible for keeping myself there. And it gets really, really bad. So looking back at verse 14, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. They drag us away. When I give over to my desires, these not good desires, when it says desires, it's not like, oh, I really desire a good future for my kids. I really just desire peace in this situation. This word for desire is more of a craving The Bible word is lust, right? A a craving or lusting after something. When I'm giving over to that desire to think about it, to think towards it, to plan for it, then it has enticed me. It's baited me. Remember, picture that trap. It's deceived me thinking this, this pillow is going to fix you. If you do this, You'll be happy. If you do this, you'll be fulfilled. If you do this, it will be more enjoyable than what you're doing now. It's a baiting and a deception. And then it says it, it entices us and drags us away. So I'm no longer in control. There's no self-control there. And we know that we've experienced that. When we focus on something for long enough, we quit being able to say no to it. We've given it too much of our energy, too much of our emotion, too much, and and then we're we're just swept away in a lack of self-control. I just love the vivid imagery that this uses. And then it goes on to verse 15. It says these desires, which desires? The ones that entice us, the ones that drug us away, the ones that promise something that they couldn't deliver. These desires give birth to sinful actions. So I've thought about it enough. Now I've started to move into action. And they give birth to sinful actions. And when the sin is allowed to grow, it brings forth death. So the desires have given birth. Basically, it's describing it like you, you, you've been drug away and impregnated by this sinful way of thinking. And then just like a pregnancy, something is born out of that. And it talks about the sinful actions being born. And then when that sin grows, even describing it like a child is born and then grows as sin is allowed to grow in our life. It produces death. Why does sin produce death? That's the only thing it can produce. It's the only thing it can produce sin is us operating outside of the will and the instruction and the presence of God for our life. So the only thing that's available to us is death. But we've been deceived to think that that may be the true way to life if we go that direction. And we know how that works. We've experienced that the desires come We allow them to stay in front of us in our vision, in our mind, and then they entice us and literally drag us away. There's a conception that comes there, gives birth to sinful actions, which will work. Death, it'll produce death in our life, in our relationships, in every situation where sin abounds, death and destruction will follow. It has to. That's the way things work. It's a very clear and also a terrifying Visual. Again, when we're tempted to sin, and think about that. If, you, if somebody asked you to define sin, well, what is sin? What would you say? What type of answer do we have for that? What, what type of framework have we built when we use the word sin? We, we can say it. We can know kind of that, that it's a Christian word and it's used in church and it's stuff that we shouldn't do. Right. That's just kind of where our mind goes. But sin is anything that is against God or sin is my attempt to be God in my own life. The definition of the word sin is missing the mark. What is the mark that we're trying to hit? The target that we're trying to hit is the righteousness of God, that God has a standard in how we should live. And sin is anything that misses that mark of God's righteousness, God's right way. Sin is man's attempt to be God in his own life, to basically say, I know what you said, but I don't need you to tell me what to do. I don't need you In my life, I can be you in my life. I'll just take care of it myself. That that sin in our life, and we would never say that with our mouth, but that's basically what we're saying with our actions when we say, I know what you said, but I think I know better. Right? And you can go back and see that happen all the way back in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis. Well, God said this, but we think if we do this, then we'll basically be God in our own life. And so a quick example of just how this works. If someone wrongs you, right? They've wronged you. They've done something wrong to you, either at, at work, family, relationship, whatever. They have done something wrong to you. They have hurt you. And that always in us has the opportunity to stir up anger and the desire for vengeance, to get them back for what they did. You hurt me. You shouldn't have hurt me. How, why would you do that? Why would you hurt me? Did you do, Why would you do that? It makes me angry that you would do that to me. It hurts my pride. It hurts my heart. It hurts me multiple ways. And so, my desire, if I'm quick to the flesh, is to do something to hurt you back, right? Now, Scripture says, don't answer evil for evil. Scripture says, vengeance is the Lord's. Ours should be to forgive. That's what Scripture says. And He says, in your anger, do not sin. Those are just a few. But the temptation, what, 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 what if we do this and, and we think about it, and that sounds kind of good to give them a taste of their own medicine. They hurt me. Why would they hurt me? They shouldn't have done that. They deserve to be punished. And if I don't do it, if I don't defend me, if I don't step up, if I don't take vengeance on this, then who will? And then they'll just get away with it. And that's the temptation working on the inside of us. And then we're ready, you know, once we've decided that they deserve to be hurt, the, the means, you know, are justified by the end. I feel okay with lying to hurt them, manipulating to hurt them, doing basically what they did to me to hurt them back, even though I knew what they did to me was wrong. Now if in the first 10 seconds that you're thinking that way, because it always shows up, Jesus says temptation to sinner, sure yeah, but that's going to happen. The first 10 seconds that that shows up, it's easy to shake off, isn't it? You just go, yeah, but that's not, no, I, I, no, I don't need to do that. I just need to let that go. This is scripture. This, I, I don't need to, to, to live my life that way. I don't need to let them turn me into what they are. I'm going to shake it off. 10 seconds later, easy to do. If you wait longer than that and you start to let that sit on you for a little bit, let that anger settle in and go from your mind and get settled in down In your heart we can't stop thinking about it and you're having these imaginary arguments with them and like yeah then i should have said this and you always win the imaginary arguments don't you because they never say anything clever and whatever they say you're always ready for it because it's all you're playing both sides and we're starting to think that we just get more and more mad and then we're looking for opportunities to get them back so the longer we let it carry on the harder it is to pull back then right So we start to see the definition of that, being enticed and then being drug away by it. Where it literally builds up so much momentum and so much energy in our heart and in our mind that we can't pull back like we could in that first 10 seconds. We're enticed and we're carried away. Again, this is a very descriptive and accurate visual for what Jesus is talking about when he talks about temptation. He said, there will always be, there will always be temptations to sin that try this instead, try this instead. But then he says something else. He says, going back to Luke 17, he says, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. What sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? It'll come. Temptations will come. But what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? So this isn't just about us and how we live in our heart and our life. It's about what we're doing in front of and and, and with others. There's others involved. There's peril and threat, not only to ourselves, but also to others. We can be involved and complicit in laying down traps for somebody else. For laying down stumbling blocks for someone else. What we do, how we live, the temptation to stumble in life can hurt us, but it can also hurt others around us. And that's what he's saying. Temptations are sure to come. And he's saying, don't be a part of somebody else's. Don't don't be a part of someone else's stumbling, because just like... The temptations are sure to come in life. The judgment on that is sure to come as well. And we see him talk about that in verse two. He says, it would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. Millstone, big, huge stone. There would be two of them. They would use it to grind you know, wheat, right, into into flour. Huge. So it would just been comical to think of somebody having this tide around their neck and thrown into the sea, but also terrifying. They, they had developed a fear of water. I mean, they, they were plains people. You say you had some fishermen, right, but what happened when the storm kicked up? Everybody freaked out, right? So to them, that would have really, it, it wouldn't have rang out like, oh, that's kind of funny, you picture a guy with a big millstone thrown around his neck. To them, it would have been, terrifying. The greatest fear to them as a people, from what I understand, would have been drowning. The waters were seen as powerful and chaotic, and they were feared. And he's saying, it's better for that to happen to you. It's not like this is the punishment for causing someone else to sin. He's like, it would be better if that happened to you than what would happen if you caused one of these little ones to fall into sin. And when he's saying little ones maybe referring to children but what seems to be the opinion is that he's talking to, about those who are young in the faith who are new to this he's like you have an opportunity to teach and train up those who are coming to Christ in your midst he said heaven forbid you lay down stumbling blocks for them instead that word that uh, scandalon that we talked about was was the stumbling block that you would trip over. That was a verb when he said, there, there are temptations are sure to come. That was a noun earlier, but this is a verb now. He says, if you actively do this, if you're carrying about this action that's gonna cause others to fall, then judgment is sure to come. And because of that, in the first of verse 3, he says, watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Don't get carried away. Don't live in such a way that others fall because of you. Why? Because we're not in this alone. We're we're called to pursue God and we're called to pursue Him together. We're not in this alone. And because of that, how we live matters. You don't live in a vacuum where you don't affect other people with how you think and what you do. How we live matters. Matters. So how could we cause one of these little ones, either our children or those who are children in the faith, those that are new to faith in Christ, how could we cause them to stumble? Well, hypocrisy would be one, right? To say I'm going to do one thing and then do another, to pretend to be one way when I'm actually another way, they see that they'll fall. Heresy would be another one where I just teach things that are false, teach things that aren't right or true or based in Scripture. And through that, giving them something that's not true, but telling them that it is, telling them that it will work in their life will cause them to fall. Both of those set an example of selfishness and sin. Going back to that temptation of try it this way. Try it this way. We have an obligation to one another, to not put stumbling blocks in the road. Now that sounds silly, who would do it? But this term actually came from people that would put down a block in front of a blind person or someone who couldn't see well, someone who wasn't paying attention so that they would fall over it and we could all laugh. That's the picture here when he says a stumbling block, something in the road that you would fall Over, We don't want to put things down in front of others that would cause them to stumble. And we want to pick up the things that may be in their path, put there by other people, other experiences, other relationships. We want to be there to go, hold on, hold on. See that? That's going to hurt you. That's going to cause you pain. In our Christian life, we can be a tempter. Here, try it this way. Just try this. Or we can be a teacher and say, this is the way to life and fulfillment in Christ Jesus. And I, there's a passage that shows this so beautifully. I want to read it. I know I'm jumping around a little bit more than I normally do. But these are too, too good to not, not turn to. In the book of Titus, So almost at the end of the book, just over there by James, where we were earlier. Titus chapter 2 in verse 1. Paul is writing to Titus. And he says, as for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men among you to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely, to be pure, to work in their homes and to do good and to be submissive to their husbands, then they will not bring shame on the Word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely and you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everyone, let everything you do reflect the integrity and the seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth. So that your teaching can't be criticized, then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. He's saying, live your life as a reflection of the wholesome teaching that you've received from Christ. And you see, he addresses like all the different parts of the population, everybody that he would have had among you is like, tell them to watch out for this and also to watch out for the others that are with them. Tell them to watch out for this and don't fall into this and also to watch out for the others that are walking alongside them. We live our life not for the validation of others, but with others in mind. Not trying to impress anybody, not trying to win them over, but with an understanding that how we live in front of people matters. We don't want to put down stumbling blocks or temptations, but we actually want to be moving them out of the way. Moving them out of the way. Why? Because there are little ones watching. Again, I, last point here, looking back at verse 1 and 2 of 17 in Luke, when Jesus said, There will always be temptations to sin, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? It'd be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. So watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. And then he shows us what that looks like in application in verse 3 and 4. He says, If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then, if there is repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks for forgiveness, you must forgive. He's like, If a brother sins against you and they repent, what's repent mean? They change the way that they think. Oh, man. I shouldn't have done that. What do you do? I forgive you. Let's move that out of the way. Restore relationship. It says, even if they do it seven times a day and turn for forgiveness. So it teaches us that we're going to have to be long suffering in each other's weaknesses because some of these things take a while to work out, right? You can't expect to tell someone something one time and then practice it perfectly for the rest of their life because we're people and we know it doesn't work that way. And all of that is not giving us permission to be the sin police. We're like, aha, caught you! hands up. Now it's time for you to really learn a lesson. It's not that attitude, it's more of a lifeguard who sees someone struggling having trouble staying above the water and entering into harm's way with them, getting down in it with them and helping them out, engaging them, pulling them out. That's what when he says rebuke there, it's not our permission to just read somebody the riot act, but to say this is not right, good or healthy for you. And then the repentance comes. I realize that now that almost killed me. I shouldn't have done that. Forgiveness, restoration, and then there's a better way to look to him in this situation. We want to be the one who's pulling people out of trouble and temptation and not the one who's leading them into it. Amen. Let the things that we do, going back to Titus, reflect the wholesomeness of what we've been taught in Scripture. And Jesus it lays out this sober call of Don't be a stumbling block for other people. He's like, you're worried about the stumbling blocks that you see in front of you. Those are sure to come and you're going to deal with them. But you need to also be conscious that you could cause someone else to stumble and to fall. Instead, be a helper. Be a good teacher. Promote repentance. Promote forgiveness. And then we'll finish with this. Look at their response when he laid this in front of them. When he said, you're always going to deal with temptation. I want you to even think another step to you don't want to be tempting someone else, but you want to be teaching them the better way. Right. Because what is he doing? He's setting up the foundations for the church and their response. I love it. Verse five. The apostle said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. <laughs> like we we recognize right away, immediately, we're not going to be able to do this on our own. And imagine how that would feel if if he says, you're going to deal with temptation. But not only that, I don't want you to tempt anyone else. Like there's a bigger weight on this than you even realize. And they were like, "Whew, I was having trouble with the first part. And now we've added on to it. And they're like, there's no way I can do this on my own. Lord, increase my faith. Show us how to increase our faith or Lord, we're going to need your help in this. Aren't you glad he's in your life? Aren't you glad that he gave you the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of you, to testify that you are a child of God and to bring the power to transform you, to change you, according to Scripture, into the image of Christ Jesus. It says as we look on him. We're being changed from glory to glory into his image by the power of the Holy Spirit working on the inside of us. We need him more than life and we will never get through it without him. We'll never get home without him. We'll, we'll never make it past the stumbling blocks without him. We'll never keep from hurting others around us without him. I love their response and it's ours too as we get ready to close. and if you want to go ahead and come, we can sing together after we pray. Their response was, if we're going to do that, we're going to need you to help us. If we're gonna help others live uprightly and we're gonna live uprightly in front of them, there's no way we can do this on our own. We need you to help us. And what we'll talk about later was his response wasn't, you can't do this, I need other people. Give me 12 more, bring 12 more in here. He starts to talk to them about increasing their faith. So when the temptations of life come, and they will, he says they're sure and they're certain, we need to hold steadfast to the truth that we've received in Him and shake off the, hey, why don't you try this? Hey, you see that need that you have that you thought God was you know, filling for you? I don't think that's going very well. Why don't you try that? Aren't you dissatisfied in this area right now? Why don't you try this? We've got to know enough to know better. And then we're able to turn and teach and encourage and help those that are with us. Not leading them into temptation, but saying, hey, try this. Try this. Try the way he said to do it. Try the, the only way to life. And he will never, ever, ever leave us alone, but will increase our faith. He'll forgive us when we sin, when we fall in the water. Even when we knew we shouldn't have. When we get enticed and drawn away by our desires, and we see all the damage that comes from that, we need to fall just like uh, at the end of the one verse and say, I repent. And what he was asking them to do, he said, Forgive, even if it happens seven times a day, which tells me he's ready to forgive me, however often I repent. You say, Well, isn't that, doesn't seem like that's using, the grace, like that's using something, true repentance. Doesn't keep happening if someone's wanting, wanting to live in sin only when they're wanting a way out. Amen. Stand up with me. Let's pray before I get off on another tangent. we pray over this that God will just settle it in our hearts. Father, you, you've told us that temptations are sure to come. All these advertisements to step away from the path of life that you've put us on and to do it our own way, to live our own way, handle things in our own way and not the way of Jesus Christ. God, forgive us where we failed. Forgive us where we've stumbled, where we've allowed ourselves to entertain these desires to the point where we were carried off by them into sinful actions. And we see that it only worked death. It only worked destruction. It didn't work anything good. And I thank you that just like the prodigal that we learned about, when we come to our senses and we come back from that, you're the faithful father waiting at the door and you hug us and draw us close and you welcome us back into fellowship with you. You've never despised a broken and a contrite heart. And when we come to you like that, you never leave us outside the door. I thank you for being patient with us, long suffering with us in our failings. God, teach us to walk more steadily in this life, to spot the stumbling blocks for what they are, a false advertisement that cannot deliver on what it says that it can. And Lord, to understand and to know that our fulfillment, our validation, our pleasure, our enjoyment of life can only come from you. And as we're learning that, that we'll be able to turn to the little ones around us, those that you've put in our life for us to pursue you with. And we'll help them walk as well. That we won't be putting stumbling blocks down in front of those that are walking with us, God. But in faith, we'll be picking them up. We'll clear the road to make it easier for people to walk the straight and narrow path. We love you and we thank you. We ask that you bless us as we leave today. Lord, as we leave, that we go in peace and unity together with one another as your body, that you protect your people. God, keep us safe. We continue to pray that you relieve us from this virus and all that comes with it. And Lord, that this week that we'll look to you as the author and the finisher of our faith. We won't get our eyes down on all these things on the earth that would cause us to develop anxiety and angst and anger. But we'll look to you and then we'll experience everything else through that lens. That we'll live this week with you in mind. I thank you that you put others in our path to be able to encourage, build up. And Father, if we find ourselves low, I thank you that you're putting someone in our path to pick us up, to help us out, and to point us back to you. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.